Hello, everyone, and welcome to King's Talk presented by Cap City Crown. This is Tony, and with me, as always, we've got John. It's a lot different this week. <laughs> Last week, we talked the Kings were 0-3. We were just, is it time to panic yet? Is it time to panic? And then, you know, things change. They're now on a three-game winning streak. Darren Fox is back. We absolutely destroyed, maybe destroyed the... Maybe that's not the right word, but, you know, we took care of the Cavaliers on Monday night pretty easily. And then we got a game tonight, tonight against the Lakers on ESPN, a game I think the Kings can win. They just look so much better after that three-game losing streak, their defense, Fox coming back, Sabonis. There's a lot to talk about this time. John, how you doing? <laughs> I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. It, they won three in a row now, but it does kind of seem like that adversity of missing Fox and kind of looking like crap there, especially in Houston. I think that really paid off in a lot of ways. I think it really catapulted their ability to play, quote unquote, the right way, which is like putting yourself in a position to win with defense. And they played really good defense over the last couple of games. I think that they're Defensive rating over the last three games is 111.6, which is really good. And I think it's even lower if you just count the last two games. Now, it's a small sample size, but we're early. And that was a major adjustment. And guys stepped up to the challenge that was, you know, handed to them through all the adversity. And they looked even better with Fox. And, you know, there's always these other kind of topics that we'll get into more as well where, you know, missing Fox gave opportunities to guys that maybe wouldn't have had opportunities like Keon Ellis and now look at Keon Ellis. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, yeah, what a difference a, a week makes. I mean, they're they're playing the right way. They're playing with joy, as the players and coaches always say. And yeah, it's just we went right from like, oh, no. Oh, shoot. Is this <laughs> yeah. team the real deal to? Yeah, yeah, yeah this team is one of the better teams in the Western Conference. So, you know, it's pretty good. Kings are trending I, upwards. The Clippers are trending downwards. The you know. Clippers, dude. They lost five in a row, I think. Yeah. Uh, have they lost five? Oh, my God. They're crazy. Martin's come back. That's hilarious. They're crazy, Ben. It's crazy. I just, I like, does anyone not learn? Like, when's the last time that worked in the NBA? Has that worked since, like, a big trade like that? Like, a big, like, super team? I mean, other than, I mean, I don't know. At least, like, Harden and, like, or not Harden. At least, like, LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. I know that was, like, I don't know, one of the first instances, right, that we know of, kind of, in the modern era. Or it's like, oh, man. Yeah. It's like, at least they had, like, a full offseason to prepare, like, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess Durant and Kyrie did too, but I don't know. They're they're just different superstars than I would say LeBron and D Wade and Bosch were back then. Yeah, Harden's definitely not in that. No, no, he's far from it. I think one of the things too is, is like remember when Phoenix pulled off the move to get you know Bradley Beal, and the, it seemed like all oh, they were going to center themselves around Beal, Durant, and Booker, and it just was like, well, is their depth going to come along and through other moves that happened in the NBA, they were able to bolster their depth. But LA, the Clippers, that is, they they sacrifice their depth and some length and defense to get James Harden. It just makes no sense. And four, three or four games into the season, no training camp, no ability to build chemistry. And it seems like it's a part-time, like the issue with them is the lacking defense and length and size. 
and also the lack of chemistry. And it's like, even if you fix one of those, the other issue is going to be glaring. So I don't know what the Clippers were thinking. And James Harden, on top of that, is just, you know, a superstar who has, this is his fourth team in two or his, in three seasons, right? He went from the yeah. Rockets to the Nets to the Sixers, just demanding trade after trade after trade, really. I don't know. Like, you, you're hooking him back up with Westbrook, I guess. I mean, it's like they didn't have a reunion in Houston already. And I, I think I was reading, too, that like Kawhi, George, and Westbrook were doing fine on their own, too. But... I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. These these super teams, everyone, I don't know, especially the big markets, I guess, they get so focused on it. It's like, just imagine. And that's all That's all they've really shown us is just like, imagine what they could have done because they not, nothing's come of any of them yet. That's perfect characterization of the Clippers, too, because the clock is ticking in that organization's year. Because, I mean, in terms of a championship window, which I don't even know if, the championship window has been open for them for the last two seasons, but yeah, like that thing is, I mean, any glimmer of hope to open that thing up is, I feel like it's just, it, it, they were so pressed to make a move. And now I feel like it just closed completely. Maybe that's too early to say, but it was funny. Cause like James Harden said, I think in his like opening press conference, he's like, they were asking him about like the system in place and what did he, whether he'd fit in. He's like, I am a system. That's like, yeah, hey, you're a freaking self-destruct system. Like, <laughs> you whiz. It's 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 ridiculous. I am the system. Like, okay, you don't have the three other Hall of Fame players on your team, but okay. Yeah, yeah like, you would have thought like the Clippers. I almost kind of thought the Clippers were flying too close to the sun by taking a flyer on Westbrook, but that ended up working out in their favor and good, good on them. But it's like, man, it's like it was like doubling down on an even crazier bet to go with Harden. At this yeah. point, so early too, and it's just like you sacrifice yeah. so much depth, length, all this stuff, and now you probably just totally, again, the whole thing is self-destructed. So weird. I mean, as of this moment, there's going to be a couple games tonight after we talk. But I mean, as of this moment, the Kings are the they have the best record in the Pacific Division right now. Yeah. Uh, again, this could change. I think they're tied with the Warriors, uh, like percentage wise, but. I mean, after having that three-game losing streak and, you know, again, talking about panic a week ago from today, hey, that's not too bad of a spot to sit in. I mean, the way we were talking last week, it was like, man, you, they could be at the bottom of the Pacific. But, yeah, I mean, the Clippers definitely, you know, helped out with that. Yeah, they're creating that buffer zone. At the bottom yeah, exactly. There. Exactly. I just don't see, like, especially, like, when you put it in the context, do that Clippers move of, like, what division you're in. It's just like, I feel like you put yourself way back because you have a bunch of other teams that are really, really good on their own. And I don't know. Whatever. The Clippers yeah. can hire us. They can listen to us and be like, you know what? The Kings are really missing out by not hiring these guys. Yeah. yeah we could be the, uh, the Cap City Crown. So the, what's LA? What's their nickname? City of Angels. City they have another Angels. nickname. Uh, L.A. (laughs) (laughs) And we'd have to we'd have to replace crown with a clipper. So like a sale, I guess the clips, the clip city, the clip city. uh, I don't know. Clip city clowns. (laughs) Clip city clown. I like that. We got we got to stay with the triple C's. Yeah, you have to. Clippers talk. 
<laughs> I think I think it's funny because like Kings Talk, I feel like they got pulled because I think it's sponsored by NBC Sports and like they pulled all their like added Kings coverage like at the beginning of last year. So they got rid of their Kings Talk podcast, which really opened a door for us to just take the just name. Just slip but, in there. <laughs> but like the like the talk podcast, like that's a wide, I think that's like a network. Or maybe I'm thinking of Locked On. No, no, it, no, you're right. Uh, that's why I chose the name. <laughs> just kidding. Because it's like, oh, it's King's Talk. Like, yeah, no, I've listened I've listened to Celtics Talk, but it's probably the same thing. They're probably just yeah. guys paid by NBC Sports. I think it is NBC. Yeah. Almost like, oh, King's Talk, perfect. Because I'm like, oh, this is not a King's Talk. Like, scoop it up. Let's do it. Yeah. And then We're, for our lawyers, we have Sack King's Talk, if anybody. Hey, we didn't do anything wrong. We have the name. No one else has this name. <laughs> it's I'm true. just saying. Not trademarked. No, it's not. So, hey, King's Talk, this is it. If NBC wants the rights to this name, well, I mean, they can offer us, as, you know, a lump sum. Yeah, they can come buy it off of us. But and I'm just going, yeah, no, I just gave it to him for free and just pocket it all. <laughs> I just gave it to him. <laughs> they made a really dire plea, and it's the holidays, so I just. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, oh, okay, all right, cool. <laughs> but getting into the business here, I got the, the most pressing question, I think, is uh, whose team is this? Is this Mark Jones's team or Kyle Draper's team? I mean, it's it's the Drapes. It's Drapes' team, not the Drapes. I kind of want to call them the Drapes now. But okay. um, the we'll Drapes. Katie Christensen the carpet? That probably doesn't sound too good. <laughs> the Drapes in the carpet. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's been Drapes' team. Like I said, I I don't know. Mark Jones isn't the worst. Like I make him seem to be, but I don't know. For me, it's all it's all about consistency for me. Either either call every game or don't call any games. And you know what? If Draper was given the opportunity, he would call every game. Jones clearly isn't because I mean he has another job at ESPN, and I get it. But I don't know. It, I think I think I'm answering my own question. It's Katie Christensen's team. It really is. She's the steadying force there. She's consistent. She's there yeah. every time. But every, if Kyle Draper could work 365 days a year, he probably would. He would. And You know, I like Draper. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's ever going to top Grant and Jerry. They just had this chemistry that was great. But Especially if you I have mean, the nostalgia of having watched them as a kid. I'm not even, yeah, even going to say Draper and Katie is a close second, even though there's really no one else to compare them to. Grant and Doug, I guess, for a season and a half, or however long that lasted. Maybe longer. I forget how long Grant and Doug did it. But Grant and Jerry, man, they yeah, they were around forever. And Grant, I mean, Grant did it from like 1985 on. Like he was their first announcer, I believe. Hmm. And he's not even that old, so he must have been pretty young. When I mean, he's old, but he's not like 80. He's not like Jerry or. <laughs> Gary Gerald, the name always confuses me. Gary Gerald, Jerry Gerald. Um, like Jerry Garcia. I'm like, what is this? What does that have to do with it? <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I don't know when. I don't. I mean, sorry, I'm not that. As, I don't know. I, I don't know when Reynolds actually joined the broadcast team. But I mean, it was definitely early 2000s, at least. I mean, maybe the 90s. I don't. I don't really know. Someone can comment and let me know. When did he when last he, coach? I don't know. I don't want to really want to get into that. I don't this is about that. Drapes and Mark Jones. To me, in my perfect world, it doesn't matter. But I would like both of them to lose their second job. <laughs> Mark Jones should not be working for ESPN. 
and Kyle Draper should lose his radio show. You know why? Because I Draper noticed a Mark- radio show. Yeah, he's on uh, Sports Talk eleven forty. Sacktown Sports. Sacktown Sports. I always say something that's not the name of. Well, it used to be Sports eleven forty forever. So, you know what? Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Anyways, <laughs> but I said this. I thought this a lot last season. I'm like, especially like midway through the year and late in the year with Mark Jones probably calling a game every night. It's like you could tell, like with little like slips of the tongue and like getting turns of phrases wrong and stuff like that. Little brain farts. You're like. Dude, you work too much. And I feel like I'm starting to notice that with Kyle, too. I'm like, I think you're working too much. I think he, I don't remember specifically what he said the last time he called the game, but he had a few, like, missteps in speaking. And I'm like, man, t- t- take some time off. Why are all these people got to work so much? Like, I know. How much do they get paid? Like, how, like, does Draper need a radio show? Like, I wonder how, what's his salary. I mean, it has to be decent, right? I mean, he's Probably on TV. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, does he need... I mean, Grant had a radio show. Like, if you're a Kings announcer, do you automatically get a radio show on Sports 1140? Because Doug had one, too. Yeah, um, and then I know Bob Fitzgerald, the Warriors guy, was... he's. On, I think he still has a show on KMBR. I don't know if he still does, but he was on KMBR forever. Oh, it's Kyle Dra- Draper and that Gleason guy? Kevin that, Gleason? I didn't know that. I just knew he was on there. From two to six every day, Jesus. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good hour. That's a that's a good I mean, that's four a good hours. Time slot, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I can't do math. Featured podcast, King's Talk. <laughs> oh, the return of the whatever is it looks like this is Return of the Roar. And then they get the Niners one, Return of the Empire. Why doesn't work as well? It should be Return of the Faithful or something. Yeah, yeah, I know Empire. It's kind of really Empire. I'm assuming it's Niners. It doesn't say, but it's like a football and it's red and gold. I don't think it's the Raiders. Then they got one called Stingers Up, the Sacramento State football podcast with Jason Ross. How do you feel about Jason Ross? I don't really know a lot about Jason Ross. I don't really listen to sports talk radio and sack. I don't live there currently, so. Oh, yeah, that's fair. I have neither anything good nor bad to say about Jason Ross. Although I think Jason Ross, I know this about Jason Ross, and maybe this is maybe this is a condemnation of him. But I know that he he had a huge role in getting Matt George started with what he does. So, oh really? Yeah. So maybe sense. I'm holding something against Jason Ross. <laughs> Jay Ross, Dross. Anyways, Dross and Drake. Kings basketball. What you know? What what's uh, stood out to you most in this three game winning streak? Um, not just limiting ourselves to the three game winning streak, but kind of looking at the nine games the Kings have played as a whole. I think one of the big storylines this season is Keegan Murray's development, but more specifically as a defender. And I think everybody knows where we're going with this. What he did against Steph Curry was that two weeks ago now? It must have been. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks ago. And then what he did against Donovan Mitchell on Monday night. 7 of 21, and guarded him most of the time. And -hmm. just used his length to bother him, and he's just looked great. You know, I think we talked before before training camp even started. I think we were, it might have been during the summer, we were talking about, can can Keegan Murray make that jump to being like a two-way impact player? And we were like, yeah, you know, maybe by the end of the season. 
But here we go. Keegan Murray, again, defying expectations yep. and, and adjusting on the fly. And he, he, I mean, even it's just an option or throwing a different look at a guy, he's just an exceptional option at that. And I know they asked De'Aaron Fox about it after the game on Monday because Fox and Murray worked out so much this summer. And, you know, Fox was like, yeah, his movement has been so much better this season. His, his lateral quickness, his body fluidity is just better. And Mike Brown talked about having to play one-on-one against, you know, Darren Fox all summer. So you're guarding Darren Fox all the time. Yeah, that reminds me of, like, when you'd hear about, like, uh, Damian Jones having to guard Clay and Steph in practices and stuff like that. And you could see that in his on-ball defense on the perimeter as a big. But, you know, it just seems like that same kind of thing has really paid off for Murray. And Mike Brown also added that, like, you know, the big thing Murray did this offseason was put on more muscle. And Brown reminded us that that allows you to take that hiss on, hit on the chest without falling back. And I remember when he played, when they played the Warriors, he was noting how Steph Curry is like a pro at kind of giving a push to his defender before he takes off in another direction. And one of the biggest things you have to do when you're guarding Curry is not give in to that push. You have to be able to fight through it and go and just get that first step going wherever he's going. And Murray handled that pretty decently. And, you know, you get a guy like Donovan Mitchell who's going to kind of bump up against you and try to get his shot up sometimes. I mean, he's he's, a, he's one of the best scorers in the league. He's always looking to get his shot up. That just works wonders as well. So the length, the strength, the movement, you know, it's it's all coming together for him. And, I mean, he's 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 been awesome. I don't know if he could do that every night. That might be kind of a question to consider. But, like, once or twice a week – when you when the matchup really calls for it, when you kind of have a perimeter player that's the opposing team's top scorer, yeah, put Murray on him because it seems to be working. Yeah, I mean he's he's looked really good on defense, and I mean you know to note with that too is like we knew and we kind of had this conversation last week. It's like, well, man, are the Kings putting too much effort on defense? Does that take away from their offense? And, you know, it looked like it was affecting Keegan because you could tell he was guarding, you know, Steph Curry and the opposing team's best player when he could and at least on the perimeter. But he was not shooting the ball well at the start of the season. But then last two games, 20 points each game plus hit, what, five threes the other night against Cleveland. Yeah. So it's showing that he can actually handle this workload, at least in a game. Maybe, like you said, maybe not every night, but I mean... He's turning himself into a nice little two-way player, and it's we've seen it a couple games now. Against some of the best scorers in the league, some of the hardest guys to guard. Yes, exactly. Crazy. It is. And we'll, we'll stick on Murray, but just kind of off that note that you said, credit has to go to Kevin Herter as well. I mean, he's not doing the same thing Murray's doing on defense, but in terms of holding his own and doing the little things, rebounding, continuing his weak side and help side defense and all that stuff, you know, he's he's been awesome, too. And what's happening to him over the last three or four games, he's starting to see his shot fall. So, yeah, I mean, that whole I mean, the Kings are really making that adjustment. And yeah, I mean, Murray, I mean, that's all that 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 helps the team so much that helps him so much. I mean, that's just that's that's just huge. Yeah, I don't know if it'll happen all the time, but I don't think it has to happen all the time. Like in terms of guarding like an opposing team's best player, but like against the Lakers, the best player I guess would be LeBron technically. 
I think Barnes usually guards LeBron. Yeah, Barnes is usually given that task. Yeah. So he might have, I guess, a quote-unquote night off. I mean, maybe they'll put him on D'Angelo Russell or something. but No, that's true. Or at least kind of mix it up. But, I mean, in that sense, just kind of throwing him in the mix of guys guarding guys, he could he could do that nightly and then kind of take on a heavier load every once in a while when a Steph Curry or a Donovan Mitchell does come to the building. So it just seems like one of those things that the Kings can really benefit from, and it, it's all the better that it's happening here in November. It seems to be really kind of making itself obvious that he's taking the necessary steps on defense and – he talks a lot about being more aggressive this season. Obviously, that has a lot to do with his offense. And he's kind of noted, I think, after the game that he's trying to be more aggressive on defense and whatnot. Now, I'm not 100% sure what he means by that, but I get a sense of what he means. And I just think that's so funny from Keegan Murray, just talking about aggression. Because it's like, when you listen to Keegan Murray talk, he you know, says, um, every other statement, every other sentence. <laughs> he's shrugging his shoulders. And he's just kind of, yeah, you know, we just kind of go out there and try to do the right thing. And Mike, you know, he just kind of got my by my back out there and all that stuff. And I'm shrugging as I say all that. And you just like, can this guy be aggressive? I mean, like his personality really doesn't say that he can. And it's just like, yeah. this guy just defies expectations. So Keegan Murray, a round of applause. He's the next. He's the next Kawhi Leonard in the making. It sounds like <laughs> two way, two way small forward who keeps to himself. Yeah, it could be, could be something along those lines. But yeah, yeah, Keegan Murray. It's been it's been a joy to watch from a basketball standpoint. No, it's awesome, and I mean, I think we've talked about so much. All you know, at least in the off season leading up to this season, it's like, all right, it, it's Keegan Murray's next step. The season depends on how much Murray's going to step up. And yeah, we called I it mean, the off season of Keegan Murray. Yeah, and watching what he did, especially the last two games, and what he's been doing on defense all year. It's really encouraging. It's like, oh, this is the guy. Like, if you can, if you can put him nights. I mean, like I said, it's not maybe realistic on a nightly basis, but I mean, if he can perform even like seventy five percent of what he did against Cleveland on a nightly basis, I mean, the Kings are going to be in a really good spot. Yeah, that's just great. Talk about your third best player right there. Exactly. But let you know, let's change it a little. Uh, on that note, the third, the, he is their third best player, and someone that was their third best player for you know seems like a while now is now not their third best player, and maybe like a fifth option scoring seems like it's affecting him. I guess it's just affecting him. Harrison Barnes, he's what's what's been up with Harrison Harry? Harry B is taking on the nickname Silent Knight. I like out. that. I saw that. He's had a lot of quiet nights. I think of the nine games, he's probably had four extremely quiet nights. You know, in a win against the Cavaliers where the ball's flowing everywhere and Kevin Herter and Murray have their shots going and Monk's coming off the bench and he went three of five from three and you got Fox back and all this stuff. You know, I, I wouldn't pay too much attention to it. But over the last five games, Harrison Barnes has either been absent or just ineffective for the most part. He's had some good rebounding games there, so you got to give him credit where credit's due. But I think one of the more glaring aspects here is that through the last two fourth quarters, the Thunder game on Friday and then the Cavs game on Monday, he's played a total of 46 seconds in the fourth quarter. In both those That's fourth crazy. And all those 46 seconds came in the Thunder game. He didn't play at all in the Cleveland game in the fourth. Mm. And it's just like, you know, people always say the old wisdom in basketball is it doesn't really matter who's starting so much as who's closing. 
And I think that was a huge thing for Keon Ellis. Like Keon Ellis was part of that closing lineup and played a huge part down the stretch against the Thunder. You know, it's like, oh, wow, okay. Like he's really, it really amplifies the fact, really highlights and puts a light on the fact that he is impacting the team in a positive way. And it's not like Barnes is hurting the team, but in terms of making an impact, it's been kind of a goose egg. He's not really providing much of anything. It's not really positive or negative. And when you were conceivably the third best player, at least at the start of last season and for most of last season, I think just being a veteran, being consistent, maybe kind of made him the third best player. But it's just like, so you have, the, I, mean, I guess the point there is there's a standard, you know, you got a veteran status, you're paid a certain amount of money, you're the starting, you're starting forward on this team. And you're like the least effective guy out there. I mean, Chris Duarte went into the game, got like, three fouls in three minutes ended up with four at the end of the night but brown kept playing him because you know those were fouls that were kind of more to do with just kind of being a little too physical not really getting handsy or anything like that and also it was you know if duarte fouls out it's not a huge deal you've got <laughs> other guys like kessler edwards out on the bench and whatnot it's not like duarte's shots falling right now mm-hmm. but it's just like so like you can you can see a lot of like what brown's thinking in the minutes he's giving out and Harrison Barnes, meanwhile, is just not really doing anything, you know? And I just to kind of go over his stats over the last five games. And as we're recording this, the most recent game was that Cleveland game. He's been averaging 7.2 points on 36.4% from the field and 26.3% from deep. So even as he's leading the team in three-point percentage, over the last five, he hasn't really had, I think he maybe maybe had one good three-point shooting game. But he's had a lot of offers, you know, and mm-hmm. he's kind of struggling to hit certain shots. I think he's shooting just below 50% in the painted area in these last five games. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's weird. It's like Matt Barnes said on the pregame broadcast on Monday, it's like Harrison Barnes has the tendency to blend in. And we, you know, you were saying last week, he's got that disappearing act. And I, I, I don't know what's up with that. I just, I can't really prescribe what's going on. All I can do is point out the fact that he's been an absolute ghost and hardly out there, but you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think it's an aggression thing, but also like in terms of shooting and stuff like that, things come to him and he's not really going to be a guy, especially given the teammates around him to go get his own shot. So that like makes sense. But you know, I think in the Thunder game, there were two instances, and maybe it was only really one. Maybe I'm nitpicking on the second one, but there was at least one instance where it looked like he could have gotten his own long rebound off a missed three. He didn't really do it. Yeah. And also in these last five games, he's only averaging 1.8 free throw attempts per game. And on the season, he's averaging 2.5. He averaged five free throw attempts a game last season. And what did we all, what did I always defend Harrison Barnes for last year, especially when his shooting wasn't getting off to a good start? It's the fact that. As many people know that when the offense gets out of whack, when things kind of get out of, you know, off kilter with the Kings, he can really settle things down, slow it down, allow everybody to catch a breath by getting the ball and taking it and, you know, drawing a foul. And he's very successful at that. Mm-hmm. And you just, I, you just haven't seen that as much. Now, granted, of course, they've won three straight. So three out of these five games we're talking about have been wins where maybe that wasn't as necessary. But think about like that second Houston game where everything was out of whack. I don't know if Barnes went to the line. I think he maybe went once. And it's just like, I don't I don't know if it's an aggression thing or if he just gets a little too complacent. 
I don't know what it is. I mean, do you have a read as to what it is? Because he just doesn't seem, again, it's not like he's necessarily hurting the team, but he's definitely not contributing very much. Yeah, I mean, two things, I guess I'll have to say. I mean, one, the first thing, it's like, it's just Barnes. It's who he's been since he's been in sack. He just disappears. And then next week, just like we were talking about last week, like, Kings are on three, time to panic. Harrison Barnes, time to panic. He hasn't done anything. Then he's going to come out next week and score 15 points a game. And then we'll be like, yeah, this is why the Kings kept Barnes. Very just inconsistent. He just has these, I mean, he's consistent and very inconsistent at the same time. It's kind of weird because he has these disappearing acts. And it's frustrating. And the other thing I just want to throw out there, I, uh, you wrote an article on this, uh, on this topic this morning. A lot of comments were, were people saying that we're defending Harrison Barnes. I'm not saying everyone was, but the ones that were defending Barnes was like, well, now he's the fifth option. You know, it's like a different role. And so I kind of get that. But like, you know, like you, you just read his last five games. Fox is out four of those. And, you know, you still got to crash the boards and, you know, do the little stuff if you're not scoring, too. I feel like the the one counter I would have to that point, because that's a fair point. Like, he's the fifth option now. His role has technically been reduced. It's not like it's been reduced. Just other guys are stepping up and kind of taking the food off his plate, as it were. But, again, it's like if you if that's the case, then shouldn't you still be out there for the closing lineup at least some of the time or at least get some fourth quarter minutes? I mean, that's true. That's just that that's, it seems like the biggest tell. And again, it doesn't really matter what we think. It, it matters what Mike Brown thinks. It matters what the coaching staff thinks. I mean, again, it doesn't seem like they're going out of their way to say that he's hurting the team because he really isn't. It's not like he's fouling a lot. He's not turning the ball over. But in terms of being a non-factor, he's really fulfilling that pretty well. So I don't know what it is. Again, I don't have a prescription for Barnes. I'm not even sure I could diagnose what the issue is. But these kind of side effects are clear and again mr silent night over here the holidays are coming up <laughs> you know he's like the most yeah. quiet he's the he's the most quiet caroler on the porch you know <laughs> singing, singing. after such a big opening night too yeah, yeah. that first like, half is like yeah i'm done i'm gonna yeah yeah first half too i mean he only ended with what like 33 points off of yeah. a 27 point first after half. 29 points in the first half harrison barnes has made the decision to retire from the nba <laughs> yeah exactly going out on a high note <laughs> yeah, quit so while I'm... you're ahead harrison barnes yeah <laughs> he should have just quit when he won a championship yeah i mean yeah been to this <laughs> i mean that was the pinnacle of his career <laughs> that's kind of rough to say but hey you know what a lot of people don't get there he so. was this what second year player yeah yeah or oh uh, harrison third year player i believe third year yeah he was drafted in 12 yeah, yeah. He, he started his first year went to the bench with iguodala's first year and then yeah third year was steve kerr's first year and he's like now we're gonna bring iguodala off the bench and harrison barnes is like great Fantastic. And the, he was part of the death lineup, right? As the four, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's Which I still think is like, has I mean, Steph Curry changed the game a lot, but it's like, when you talk, we talk about the Warriors as a whole changing the game, that lineup of death was really set up a thing for people to copycat. Which is yeah, probably Harry, natural, but Harrison Barnes, Barnes, dude. Yeah. I don't remember who it was, but I remember. They, I think Mark uh, Mark Jackson started playing a smaller lineup with Barnes at the four 
especially after David Lee got hurt in that one playoff series against the Nuggets. And I don't remember who it was. It was some guy on NBA Network, probably a former player. They were like, I don't, I don't know why you're putting this skinny kid Barnes down there with you know Kenneth Fareed and who, I think JaVale McGee was on that team. And mm-hmm. it's just like, and Harrison Barnes is just a stud, despite being like physically a shell of himself in terms of not being bulked up. I mean, that that was the high point of Barnes's career. You know, as a, as a young player stepping up as a rookie, guarding big guys in the playoffs. But I don't know. I digress. Uh, I guess kind of shifting to a positive and maybe critical note. It's a little interesting that the backup point guard minutes are going, at least for now, solely to Keon Ellis. Davion Mitchell yeah. did not see any playtime against the Cavaliers. Keon Ellis has been playing extremely well in his time, particularly on the defensive end. And meanwhile, I mean, Davion Mitchell, I mean, we just got finished talking about Barnes, but through all nine games, aside from the game against Portland, Davion Mitchell might be the biggest disappointment this season for the Kings. You know, from foul trouble to not making as big of an impact, or at least not kind of like it being glaringly clear that he's making an impact on defense and, you know, his shots been hit or miss and stuff like that. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, if you really wanted to, one of the two guys, Keon Ellis and Davion Mitchell, to be like the better of the two, who would you rather basically hold on to for the future? You'd like Keon Ellis because he's longer, he's a little taller, and, you know, cheaper. Cheaper, yeah, that's for sure. And I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine Davion Mitchell's not going to have an opportunity again. He will have an opportunity again. I think as we'll talk about, I mean, like Keon, Keon Ellis is still such a young player. He's still so inexperienced. He's going to hit rough patches and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, as they kind of wrestle throughout the season, at least as it seems now, for minutes in that backup point guard role, Keon Ellis could put himself in a position where the Kings don't really feel compelled to think of Mitchell as part of the future of the Kings or the core. You know, Keon could easily replace him. So... I don't know, man. I mean, any thoughts off of that? You know, I kind of just kind of word saladed that one and got all my thoughts out there. But Keon Ellis getting minutes, Davion Mitchell. Davion Mitchell hasn't really had that season. I mean, he was – everybody – we were – at least we were. We were talking a lot about Davion in preseason and leading up to the season. He was a big topic. And so far, it's just Mm -hmm. kind of been a letdown. No, I mean, it's been a big letdown. It's a third-year player, you know, talking about the summer of Keegan. I mean, it wasn't so much the summer of Davion, but, you know, he was one of those guys posting those hype tapes and stuff. And, I mean, I get it. It gets everyone excited. But, I mean, third-year guy. I mean, sophomore slump, whatever. I always say that, right? I'm never expecting big, big things in year two. But year three, I mean, that's when you're really supposed to start to take off. And he's not. And he's, like, regressed, if anything. I mean... He's just the same guy on offense, just almost a liability out there at points. His defense is, you know, seems like it's regressed a little too. I mean, I don't know. It's foul trouble for sure. Foul trouble. I mean, if you look at net ratings with lineups he's in, they're overwhelmingly not good. His offensive rating is low. The defensive rating is high. You know, something you're not wanting to see. So, I don't know. It's just, you know. It's frustrating. He's a lottery pick. He's a third-year player. And, 
he's just I don't know. I I I can see Davion getting traded this year or them at least trying to trade him. He just doesn't have a lot to show. You know, he's just he's just the same player. He's he doesn't he can't really run the offense, not that good offensively, he can't shoot the ball. He's going to be bring you the intensity on defense. But I mean, I don't it's only going to get you so far, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it just doesn't even seem like his defense. I mean, Mike Brown said it today, Tuesday, uh, after practice. He said, or maybe he said it after the game on Monday, one of the two. He said, Davion's got to get back to playing defense and using his superpower. And, you know, I, again, kind of thinking about what really matters. It doesn't really matter so much what we think. It matters more what Mike Brown thinks. And clearly, based on that statement, based on the fact that he's playing Keon Ellis, who's been so good defensively, I mean, Kevin Herter almost had a slip of the tongue after the game on Friday. He's like, yeah, Keon, he can get he gets his hands on so many balls. And he's like, uh, uh, defensively. <laughs> but, you know, Davion Mitchell, meanwhile, is kind of, again, underperformed on that end. And I remember, I don't know if it was in training camp or in the first week of the season, but Mike Brown was talking about Davion and being like, yeah, you know, obviously he's the best on-ball defender on the perimeter out of anybody on the team, but he's still got a way, he's still got things to work on off ball. And you think about Keon Ellis, one of the things, especially watching summer league this past July was the fact that Keon Ellis had a nose for the ball. He was almost playing like free safety. He just flocked to it. He'd always end up wherever the ball was going. And so like in terms of like on ball and off ball defense, maybe Davion's got him an on ball defense, but almost as an overall defender, I think there's room for an argument that Keon Ellis is better and maybe more likely could be on a trajectory to be the better defender. And again, as we mentioned early in this topic, the physical attributes of being taller and longer really do help him. I mean, Davion Mitchell guarded Clay Thompson so well two weeks ago on that game-winning shot. He stayed with him. Man, if he was a little taller, though, maybe he would have actually disrupted the shot a little, or at least done it more. And so, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, that just seems seems like the story there, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, right now. It seems like Keon's job to lose. I don't know. I I, I think it's gonna we're gonna run into an issue, kind of like the Metu who was in Len and Kata situation last year, where it's like, well, Keon's good on defense, but he can't he can't shoot the ball. Let's go to Davion because I mean that's that's their problem, right? Is that they're they're good defenders, but they're both you know not the best on offense so i'm just kind of interested if there's going to be a little bit of a carousel at this backup point guard role yeah i think there'll there'll definitely be a bit of a tug of war there i mean you know keon ellis i think had two early turnovers in that cleveland game there was always room for him to kind of start going down a path where he's now not really helping the team as much and if his shot doesn't come around then yeah that it amplifies even more opportunities probably for davion and so, yeah, I, I could see it being a carousel too. But in terms of three-point shooting, Keon Ellis, coming out of college, was far better touted shooter than Davion Mitchell. Well, if you're talking about form, because I think Davion Mitchell's last season at, at, at Baylor was such a big thing. But, I mean, Keon Ellis came out as a strict 3 and D guy. He's going to be a 3 and D guy. We've seen him shoot threes pretty well. And I think – I don't know what his stats were in the G League last season. But, again, over the summer – he shot really well. His teammates really talk about his shot, his three-point shot being pretty good. I think, you know, Monk was asked after one of the games where it's like, are you surprised by Keon? He's like, no, he always comes in and plays good defense and knocks down a three or two, you know? It happens all mm-hmm. the time. I think 
Fox and Herter have said other nice things about Keon's outside shooting. So I think that'll come along. It has to. I mean, you can't just like expect it to. But I mean, that's another thing too, is where it's just like, if you look at the big picture here beyond this season, it's like, there's a lot of reasons to, to think, you know, despite the fact that Keon Ellis was undrafted and Davion Mitchell was a lottery pick that Keon Ellis has a little bit of a higher ceiling and the shooting and the physical attributes really help with that. So I don't know, really something to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah. Hope for Davion because Davion, when he got moved out of that spot starting point guard role and Keon Ellis got that first start against Portland, you know, Davion had a resounding answer and response in that game. He had his best game of the season. So when that opportunity does come along, I wouldn't be surprised if Davion comes out and plays some really good basketball. How long it'll last, that's really the question. So I don't know. Interesting stuff there at the backup point guard role. Mm-hmm. A lot of watch. Yeah. Kind of, I guess, getting back on the overwhelmingly positive note, we talked about last week after the Kings had lost three straight, and I think this was kind of a topic with multiple people, but a lot of people were dissatisfied with the aggression of DeMontis Sabonis. You know, you're missing your other All-NBA player. You're going up there. You're putting four or five shot attempts up in a game, and your team's getting murdered, (laughs) you know, in Houston. And it's just like, man, we need to see more from Domas. And boy, (laughs) I think it was that Portland game, I think – where he came out and had a 20-plus scoring game, and then he had a triple-double against the Thunder, and he almost had another triple-double double the other night. He's back to flirting with triple-doubles again. And Mark Jones, <laughs> this could be Mark Jones's team if he says that, if uh, if he actually goes through with the, the line of, somebody called Domas's wife. He's flirting with the triple-double again. <laughs> That's a good one. But, I mean, he's just, he's right back in that, you know, alongside Fox and being like, a guy that's worthy of MVP votes so long as he keeps this up. And I, he did it all last season. So I would yeah. be surprised if he keeps it up for the remainder of the year. But man, you know, we talk about, well, how big of a difference does it make that Fox is back? Or how big of a difference does it make that the Kings have had an adjustment to playing both ends of the floor with high intensity? But it's like, man, look what happens to the Kings when Domas is being Domas. Yeah, I mean, they two of these three straight wins are from... The, the time Fox was out and Domas went off. So, I mean, it was nice to see, especially after that second Houston game where he put up, what, four shot attempts? Something like it's that. It's like, dude, come on. Like like you said, Fox is out. You're their all-NBA counterparts out. Like, you're really going to take four shots in a game where, you know, just getting absolutely blown out. So it was nice to see him come with the aggression, especially against Portland. He had a big game then, had a big game against uh, OKC without Fox, both without Fox, and, even with Fox come, uh, back, you know, he had another big game. So, I mean, if the Kings want to go far, I mean, Fox and him are going to have to play at the top of their game, obviously, all season and into the playoffs. And it seems like stuff's starting to click with Fox back, especially, too. Yeah. And I think for Domas, it's interesting. It's almost like more of a mentality thing for him. You know, like you talk about Herter and Murray. It's like the adjustments on defense are pretty pretty significant and so it's like understandable why that would affect their shots on the other end but it's like Domas's defensive assignment doesn't require I mean being a big is way different than having a guard out on the perimeter so despite the fact that he's playing excellent defense this year and we could make a super cut of all the times he goes vertical at the rim because it happens like three or four times a game 
where he just has a great shot contest, whether it's help or just being the lone guy down there. It, I mean, that didn't seem to have much of an effect on his offense at all. It seemed more like a mentality thing. So, shoot. If that's all it takes, I mean, just, just keep that mentality going, whatever. Fan those flames because with him playing like that offensively and the way he's been playing defensively this year, which, I mean, you're talking about Davion Mitchell having a down year and kind of not surfacing defensively. Like, thinking about all nine games, who's been the best defender through and through? I mean, like, you could make the argument for Keegan. I mean, Keon is at a disservice because he's only played, what, like, four games? Mm-hmm. So, I would make the argument that Domas has been the best defender this year. Maybe there's that's there's room for argument there for other guys. But, I mean, Domas was the first guy to get the uh, defensive player of the uh, game crown and thrown that got unveiled. Yeah. So. I think that uh, symbol. It's, we'll use that as a symbolic indication that Domas has been the best defender this year. And he's, mean, been, he's, he's been great. He's been awesome. I love no, watching he, him up. He is good, and he was good last year too. Uh, definitely an underrated defender, but I mean, we're going to give him credit because yeah. he deserves it. It was interesting, just speaking about his defense, Mike Brown said, I think maybe it was post-practice on Sunday, or yeah, I think it was Sunday. He said, he, you know, he commended Domas's ability to go vertical and all that stuff, and he compared him to Anderson Verajal. And I didn't know this, but Anderson Verajal was on an all-defensive team in 2009 and 2010, and he wasn't even starting. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I really have a, have a point here, but I just thought that was interesting. And flash it, in the past. So. It is interesting. Almost as interesting as Mark Gasol winning the Defensive Player of the Year award, but being second-team All-NBA. How does that happen? I was like, someone explained that to me. Yeah, I, there's no explanation, I don't think. That is that is bizarre. It's weird. It's weird. I don't know. Anderson Verjao should have won Defensive Player of the Year in 2010, even though he probably mm-hmm. was second, second team all defense. But I don't know. But since we're gushing about the Sacramento Kings and the Kings seem to be back, I guess an, one more topic to kind of put icing on the cake here would be Sasha Vizenkov just continues to just get more and more comfortable, get more and more confident in his, I mean, I think he's always been pretty confident, but the comfort thing is huge. And then remaining poised because he didn't play. I th- what was, what game was that? He got taken out of the lineup. He didn't play against Portland, I think. And then came in in the second half against OKC and hit two big threes. And then he's part of the rotation again. And, I think he hit another couple big threes against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so this is almost the bi-weekly time to to give some credit to Sasha Vizenkov, who's just been playing extremely well. And, you know, with him hitting shots, that's great. That's what you expect from him. That's what, you know, you can kind of bet on with him. But again, limiting and kind of being a pretty decent team defender, I think – he had some rough moments in Houston, but it kind of seemed like the whole team had rough moments in Houston defensively, you know, excluding those. And he's just done such a decent job of just being solid and being good enough. And I mean, you get the shots start falling, you see him, you know, kind of hold his, his form there and kind of, kind of do like a little, whatever you like, like an archer type thing, or at least maybe inadvertently doing that and looking more comfortable with his teammates and having fun on the bench I mean, I think we touched upon this two weeks ago, but 
I mean, it's all the more stronger now. And, and that comfort here seems to be elevated. I think Darren Fox was saying, it's like, you know, it takes a lot to just move from a, to a different state, you know, to go from Texas to California or whatever. But to go from, you know, Bulgaria or Greece to the United States, it's just like, that's a huge jump. And he's talking about Sasha Fazenkov being extremely comfortable. So that almost feels ahead of schedule when you really think about like the human components of having to kind of acclimate, not just to a different and more tough league, but to a different environment completely. I mean, that's a pro. I mean, he's, 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 it's, it's the reason like his teammates just kind of refer to him more as a first year player than a rookie. Cause he's really not a rookie and he's really living up to that. He's just been a joy to watch. Man, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. Something about watching Sasha drain threes. I, I don't know. Something about his three is just, it's just so pure. He's such a good shooter. It's so fun watching him shoot. And, you know, he needs those opportunities to shoot the ball by playing well on both ends of the floor. And, you know, and him coming, uh, you know, overcoming that adversity where he didn't get to play. He didn't, he didn't play in that one game. And it comes back like nothing happened and still played well. And you'd love to see it, you know. He's he's a true pro and it's showing. I mean, I think it'll be really interesting when Trey Lyles finally comes back. And it doesn't really seem like there's much of a timeline for Trey Lyles. Like today, Tuesday, after practice, they asked Mike, Mike Brown about Lyles. And he was just like, yeah, you know, he'll come back when he comes back. I don't really, I don't really know. And he was saying that about Fox and Lyles. And I think he most recently said that after the Thunder game not really having a timeline on Fox and lo and behold, Fox came back, but there's, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean Lyles is going to come back against the Lakers or against the Spurs. I mean, there's really no clear timeline there again, but when he does come back, I mean, if Vizinkov's still playing like this, it makes it really interesting. And, you know, that really brings up that small five conversation and using Lyles at the five and kind of, mixing them off the bench or maybe just going matchup space. But it's just like that whole issue of when Lyles comes back isn't an issue at all. That's a luxury. I mean, there's going to be yeah. so much with Brown, for Brown to play with there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, JaVale's already got pulled from the rotation for the time being. So who knows? I mean, Lynn, Lynn had a really good game against Portland and I think against OKC too. And he hurt his ankle. The other night. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for Lyles and Vezinkov together still. It'll be interesting to see how he works with that because I feel like that could be, as much as he wants to keep kind of a certain rotation to keep it as stable for different stretches, I think if there was one part that was going to be a little more fluid in the short term, you know, at any given time, it might be that center situation. I know he said earlier, I think in training camp, that he'd like to kind of stick with one backup five and kind of go with that for different stretches and stuff like that. Keep it a little more consistent. But I mean, if Lyles, if Zinkov are playing well, if Len and McGee are doing what they need to do, I mean, <laughs> you can go ahead and just kind of wait and just kind of do a extended carousel as it were, or you can really play with that. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Cause I mean, anyway, you cut it Lyles and we had, he hasn't had a chance to show anything this year, but, after the season he had last year, it's like that's one of your steady seven players, seven or eight players. And, you know, if Vizenkov is, is doing super well and getting even more comfortable, 
I mean, I mean, like I'm just talking in circles here. That's just, again, it's a luxury. It's a great problem to have. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. It will be. And kind of a little note on Lyles too. I mean, Lyles isn't, I mean, he's not even a starter. He's not even our sixth man. Like, you know, Monk has that job, but we've been without him all year. And it's, it's easy to overlook as much as I love Lyles. And I think everyone does. It's like, dang, how much better are we going to get when he's back too? Like I said, he's not, he's not, he's no Fox or no Sabonis, but I mean, he plays a pretty decent role on this team. So, I mean, thinking that we've missed him all year too, I mean, they're only going to get better. And that's exciting to think about. Yeah. I mean, in terms of a guy that was, you know, a consistent star in his role, he may have filled that box, you know, the best, you know, I mean, like Monk has obviously got a bigger impact, but in terms of consistency, like Lyles was as dependable as anybody. He was almost as dependable as Sabonis last season. So, yeah. And he's, he, he plays both ends of the floor. Well, I know Mike Brown said something about, I don't remember when it was. I think it was early in the season or in, in, in preseason. He said something about like playing Lyles and or Vizenkov at the three, maybe playing them together with the center out there. I don't know if he's going to do that, but I mean, he said it last season, the two and the through the four, two, three, and four positions are kind of the same. So that might even expand the possibilities even more, but that's a good point. I mean, about, about Lyles and, that, you kind of got to give credit to to Vizenkov there. I mean, I think the team is better when Lyles is playing, but the fact that you know they've managed a five and four record, and if you kind of take those three losses out, I mean, take the two Houston losses out, the Kings have had a pretty good year, and Vizenkov has he's been a fairly significant reason why. So, Sasha Vizenkov, Trey Lyles, man, that's the making of a champion right there. If you have Sasha Vizinkov and Trey Lyles, you're automatically a super team. We're going all the way. <laughs> but yeah, the Kings got a six-game road trip now. So Six games, yeah. Starting off on ESPN, too. Against the Lakers. Against the Lakers, big game. The Lakers, and then they see Victor Wimbanyama. Victor Wimbanyama, yeah. Another in-group stage game. Yeah, then they go to Dallas, and Dallas is... What's the back to backs? Dallas is doing, they were doing well. I mean, that was another thing I was going to bring up. I saw that they're like at the top of the league offensively, like top three. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of teams that are doing, you know, I mean, it's, it's so early on, but I mean, like the Timberwolves look decent. Mavs look decent. So another team out there that looks kind of decent too, that was kind of at the bottom last year. So, I mean, the Kings might have some more competition. It's early on. It's always hard to say. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're at the Pelicans, like, first in the west at one point last year yeah <laughs> like word what happened to them so i mean i don't know it, it i don't like talking about standings this early on just more of how they look and i mean kings of uh, full strength kings team they look really good yeah like again if you take those two losses in houston out of the equation mm-hmm. it's been a very successful year and they're if you take those two games out they're five and two which is basically all you can ask for in seven games from a team yeah and i think they would have won those with fox honestly or at least one of them they would not have looked yeah that bad too and it wouldn't even be that big of a deal and then the same thing would stand which is they look good yeah exactly so but yeah six games on the road dallas then two games at new orleans and then they finish off in minnesota for i think the final group stage playing game for the tournament i think maybe there's another one after that 
think that's it. Oh, no, I think they have Golden State. Yeah, Golden State. I think the following Tuesday. So That'll be it. Yeah. For group stage, yeah. I keep thinking about it. If the Kings don't make that, like, the, the tournament for the NBA Cup, do they just have that whole week off? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm still like very confused. Not very confused, but I, I don't know how like it works to be so honest. So there'll be like 22 teams that just have a week off. I guess I really have no idea. Well, when we get there, we can talk about whether that's an advantage or a disadvantage for a basketball team at this point in the season. Seems kind of like a disadvantage. Seems like it really takes guys off their rhythm when you kind of need rhythm the most. Yeah, but we'll save that for a couple of weeks from now. <laughs> Because if the Kings don't make it that week, we, we might be short of topics. But, yeah. Well, is that it? Is that all we got today? Yeah, I think so. I think that covers it. Nice little fairly concise podcast here. Well, cool. Well, I mean, I got nothing else except beat LA tonight, tune in to ESPN, and now let's kick LeBron in AD's ass. All right. Tony's yeah. going to be suiting up for the Kings, it sounds like. <laughs> and here comes my wife. With the remaining 30 seconds. John, anything to wrap it up? No. You know, your wife calls the shots at the end of the day, so. I guess so. (laughs) Well, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in. And as always, oh, wait, I messed that up. As always, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And until next time, have a good one.